0: Welcome back to episode number 81 of the New York Pages podcast in partnership with Inside the Rink. I'm your host, Jacob Berkowitz, and I'm alongside the coach, Luca. And today, we have on Nick Morgan from Lockdown Predators podcast to discuss Heinz, L'Havillette, the systems, and more. But first, just want to let you guys know to go to insidetherink.com slash ESPN to subscribe to ESPN Plus to watch games and more. And yeah, let's get to it. And we are back with Nick Morgan from Lockdown Predators. Nick, how's it going?
1: Hey, guys. It's good. How are you guys doing today?
2: You know, I was doing really good until I saw that Patrick Watt is no longer a, not that he was ever a candidate, but he. I, I thought that they were going to, uh, at least the Rangers were going to look at him um, after the Memorial Cup was over or the Remparts were knocked out or won it and they ended up winning it last night. And it comes out today that they're not interviewing him and the two candidates are basically, supposedly down between Laviolette and Hines. Uh, so, you know, that's just kind of like a it's like a piece of wet toast. Yeah. That's I, I, I,
1: I would feel upset if those were my two choices as well. So definitely feel you there.
2: It's 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 not even that I'm like it's like I I could like at least get on board with like one of them, but like yeah. to not interview the guy the only guy I one of the guys I really wanted, that's annoying. Um, but I feel like the other two, uh Brett and Berkey on this podcast are gonna be much more divisive and angry about this than, i think they're all I, is. This, so. I just think they're all harming yeah. this yeah
3: yeah no. i just don't know why you wouldn't at least just interview like what's the harm yeah but why not even just consider why don't I just like hear him out and what he's got to say like and that's my big thing about the whole coach thing too is that like when you don't know them like super well i'm like well, I, I would love to be part of the interview process like to know what they're going to say but like I we don't know that part of it but i'm like you don't know, like you know, you can look at their records and whatnot, but like get them in the room and like let's hear what they got to say about their plans and what they would do, and then like you know weigh that in. But they don't want to do that. It, it just seems odd to me that they're so. It focused. kind of
0: those seemed like the, everyone was saying connecting the Rangers to Raw, but it sounds like so much smoke because it, it was clear last week that Laviolette was the front runner until Hines got fired. So if yeah. it was if it sounded so close with Laviolette, it shouldn't have if they were considering to wait on Wah so yeah
2: yeah all right well, yeah I, I don't know um but obviously I don't even know if we've mentioned uh have we mentioned why we have Nick on because Nick Nick is a uh it, explain what you do Nick you're the you 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 have the Predators podcast correct
1: I do so I'm a host and producer of the Lockdown Predators podcast which you can catch five times a day and you can also read my work at penaltyboxradio.com a Great independent Nashville Predators blog down there, uh, based in Nashville. So, uh, yeah, can uh have plenty of insight onto either Heinz or Laviolette or both, or we can all cry into the void together, whichever <clears throat> one you prefer.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, there was a little part of me hoping that you were gonna come on and say it's not that bad,
1: <laughs> okay? If, um,
0: but but no, 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 if that's what it is, it's what it is.
1: Here's the thing. Let's start with Peter Laviolette because that is a guy who has had success pretty much everywhere he's been, maybe less so Washington. You know, this was a guy who led the Nashville Predators to their only Stanley Cup finals berth and the very next year, the President's Trophy and their first two Central Division titles in team history. So it's not like he's a bad coach. He's just a guy that I think Has a very distinct, I guess, kind of coaching role. And I think because of that, he's got a shelf life.
3: Did you expand on that? Like, what do you mean by that exactly? Like, by his particular style and whatnot?
1: I think when it comes to Peter LaViolette, he is a guy that can go into a team and sort of press the right buttons in order to get the best out of the team. You hear a lot of people, you know, talk about his coaching philosophy as. Tough love, so to speak. You know, when you when you have a team like let's say underperforming veterans or something like that, you know, like you saw in Philadelphia, you saw at the beginning of Nashville, he's able to go in and kind of challenge his top guys as as sort of, you know, I I can get under their skin a little bit, I can rub them the wrong way. So they come out, you know, and play with a little bit more motivation, you know, more kind of desire to be here you know and, and if they don't do that I'm not afraid to you know bench a guy or, or bump him down the lineup to send a message you know he he's that kind of guy the guy that's not afraid to do the you know quote unquote dick move as a head coach um no idea if i'm allowed to swear on this podcast or oh no. yeah, yeah go right ahead go right yeah. ahead he's more of that kind of coach and it works you know he is a guy that can you know he he's proven to get a lot of value out of players you know guys like ryan johansson and nashville have had their best years under him victor arvidson did very well um his offensive style I think suits a team like the New York Rangers, especially well, because he really encourages teams to push the pace. He really encourages, uh, especially the Fords to go out there, take a lot of chances, put as much as they can on the net, sort of quote unquote sell out to try to get, you know, something going on offense. Um, you know, I, I think the only thing that has a shelf life is sometimes after, you know, five or six years, that style wears thin or a team doesn't become as structurally sound, you know, as they were maybe before Laviolette came in. And, you know, then you start seeing teams doomed by mistakes, like Nashville was towards the end of Peter Laviolette's tenure. You could see that style of play still going strong. The Predators were putting, you know, 35, 40 shots on goal each game, the only problem is they would, you know, have a couple of drastic screw-ups in the course of those games. And in those drastic screw-ups is where the other teams took advantage and outscored the Preds. Uh, and, you know, w- when we mentioned, you know, he can, you know, sort of be a dick and, you know, maybe rub some veterans the long way. A- after five or six years, I think that kind of wears thin, players tune them out. And that was a big thing uh, that we kind of heard when when Laviolette left. Uh, Nashville was just, hey, you know, after a while, we needed a different voice in there. We needed something new. Uh, We needed, you know, a player is, you know, we needed like the players to kind of step in and respond to a new message. And that that seems to be the case with Lavi. In every place he's been so far, you think back to Carolina, I think back to Philadelphia, you think back to Washington this most recent time, it just seems like he goes in there turns a the team around, they get red hot, they have just an incredible, you know, one or two years, uh, and then just kind of underperformed towards the end of his tenure.
3: So I mean, in the context of the Rangers, then that almost doesn't seem like his negative would be necessarily be a bad thing. Then I was just gonna
2: say, yeah, I
3: agree. We're not, we're not, we're not necessarily looking for five years to build a team. Like this is a win now sort of team that we have built, you know. But
0: does he know when to bring the hammer down? Like obviously, there's a time and place for everything. Does it seem like he just brings it down all the time, or he understands there's a time and place to do it?
1: I think a little bit of both, and it depends on the situation because we've seen some of it. You know, he was he was a little bit tough on Ryan Johansson when he first got here. Ryan Johansson responded by having some of the best years of his career. You know, you know, two, three years once he got in the lineup. Uh, But then, you know, you flash forward a couple years later and you have Kyle Turris, that whole situation. A lot of people point to Peter Laviolette as the reason that Turris's career kind of flamed out after what was a really good first year with the Nashville Predators you know, it just kind of, you know, lost his place, you know, was bumped down the lineup. And then, you know, he just sort of lost all of his confidence. Um, So it's, it depends on the player. And I think that's maybe something that Laviolette needs to be a better judge of is okay. Which players, you know, can I, you know, sort of get in their face and fire them up and they're going to respond. They're going to toughen up and fight back versus you know what players am i gonna do this to and they're going to fold and it's not necessarily like a, oh you got to be mentally tough to play in the nhl thing there's been some really good players you know that have kind of respect responded not negatively to what laviolette has done you know you look at mikhail grandland uh you know was really good in minnesota came to nashville didn't gel with laviolette and then it's the minute laviolette left is when he started to get his game back going so You know, different players are, you know, respond differently to different forms of coaching and different forms of criticism. And that's maybe not what Laviolette's strength is. You know, Laviolette seems more of a, this is the way I'm going to do it. Not necessarily, okay, what does this player need? What does this player need? Is this player going to react differently than this? Do I have to coach this player differently than I would have to coach this one? That to me, there, there's a little bit of a subtlety in coaching that I'm not sure Laviolette quite understands. Much more of a one size fits all sort of approach for him. I would agree with that. Yes,
2: it's yeah. interesting. Is that like I feel like a lot of Ranger fans, and in, in my opinion, unrealistically want the coach for the next 15 years hired next, and it's just like that's not normal. Like you look at John Cooper, John Cooper is, is the exception to the rule. Uh, like I, I always go back to Larry Bird's quote, uh, like Larry Bird fired himself. He was the general manager and hired himself as the coach for the Pacers. And I believe it was, I the quote was three or four years uh, after three or four years, pro athletes stop paying attention. And if you don't win a championship and even then, like they might only extend it for a year or two after that. But like, most pro athletes like if like you got like if, if the team is you know the core is there for like the same run as the coach you really got three or four years that's it like if, if a coach stays for longer that's that's that is the exception to the rule so like if he's not necessarily to me that's almost an endorsement for him if if if, if he runs stale after like four years that that's okay for me i i don't know i i, I know i'm probably in the minority when when ranger fans hear that but to me that's not the worst thing in the world
1: yeah i mean i mean if that's if that's the strategy i mean you look at the rangers i feel like your window is right now and you know you have guys that maybe five six years from now aren't going to be as impactful as they are right now so in that regard Laviolette might be perfect because like i said one of his big things is going into teams and figuring out how to push the right buttons to get them to win right away like he's a guy that you just hand him you know a, a box of you know misshapen legos and he can build something with it um you know i think that's what his strength is and if that if that's kind of what you guys are looking for Laviolette might be the best option between between the him and Heinz
0: the one thing is though is that it's a little bit it's win now but it's also at the same time you want to make sure the kids are developing to widen this window because the mm-hmm. windows as long as you know as good as they are how, how would you say that his development um his deployment with young players is?
1: I mean, it, it kind of depends on who you ask, um, because, you know, we, we've we seen some situations where, you know, maybe some players haven't quite taken that next step. Kevin Fiala comes to mind. Um, but I will say one thing about Laviolette is he's good at giving players chances to come up and shine big. Uh, You know, he did that with Philip Forsberg and Philip Forsberg became, you know, a dynamic president. He did that to Victor Arvidsson the year after he was drafted. You know, he was a very young player. La Violette saw enough in him to go ahead and give him consistent chance after chance. And, you know, those players did well. I think maybe when it comes to, you know, I think maybe there's a difference between and we can talk about this later when we talk about John Hines. But, you know, step one is making sure some of your young players have a chance to go into those game changing type of roles where they can maybe, you know, help themselves grow as players a little bit. I think that part of it's separate from figuring out, working with young players and helping them discover, you know, what they need to do that next step, what they need to go year after year after year. That second part of that is maybe where, you know, Peter Laviolette struggled a little bit in Nashville. He put a lot of young players in the lineup. He gave them a lot of chances to succeed. He just maybe wasn't good at helping them you know, grow year after year after year. You know, you saw it with, you know, Kevin Fiala where he kind of got stagnant uh, in his development for a couple of years. Did the Preds maybe give up on him a little bit too early? Probably. Um, but, you know, that that was a lot of people, you know, you, you talk to people in Nashville and they say he he wasn't going to take as much of a big step forward in LaViolette La system.
2: That uh, since we just mentioned giving up on him early, I know we'll we'll get to it at some point a little further down the line. But I've been a big proponent. I've been I've followed Nashville for a while. My my roommate uh the past like ten years pretty much was uh, a Preds fan. Uh, I've honestly I have not really loved a lot of David Boyle's moves. Um, so I I think that do you do you think that was more him giving up on fiala or is that more so like a coach's decision um because i feel like i mean you 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 can go down the line and look at a lot of the things that Poyle did and it, it's i don't know that's like we could have an hour-long podcast about david boyle yes, um but yeah uh what do you think about that
1: you know it, it's a little bit of both ultimately david Poyle was the one who made the move and you know if, when you look at him traded for mikhail grandland his, you know, mindset was, I need to win right now. You know, we, we just came off the president's trophy. We just won our second straight division title. We need to keep this momentum going. We need to figure out how to become the next big team. So that's why Poyle, you know, gave up on Kevin Fiala, not necessarily, and gave up's maybe the wrong word, but more of a, we can't wait another year or two to see him continue to grow. We need somebody that can come in and play what we think he's going to become right now. And that's why he made that Mikhail Granlund role. You know, certainly I think, I I don't know. I know the argument for a lot of people is Fiala wasn't going to keep gaining momentum under LaViolette. I don't know. I don't know if you can say that. I just don't think we saw enough of consistent Kevin Fiala in Nashville to determine if he was going to keep growing forward or not. But didn't he get hurt? He got hurt at the end of or right at the beginning of the twenty seventeen Stanley Cup playoffs. uh, Wound up breaking his leg against St. Louis. Missed the rest of that playoff run after a breakthrough series against the Blackhawks.
2: Because I remember watching that with my with my roommate, and I I couldn't remember if it was him or Johansson that broke their femur. Because I know one of them had a really bad leg break. That was that was Fiala.
1: That was Fiala. Johansson okay. had like um, you know a shoulder, like some or sort of cont- it was like a, cont- a blood clot. No, yeah, it was like a contusion oh, that called yeah. a blood clot. I can't remember exactly what it was, but yeah, he had to go emergency surgery
2: that's what it was okay yeah because i that i i i always remember they lost two those two big forwards and then obviously like you're going up against pittsburgh you know you're you're two of your and that that team those teams didn't have the most potent power play and they lost two of their best offensive uh forwards yeah. um but yeah it's it's just interesting to to see that because it's 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 very interesting cuz the rangers and the predators are really really similar franchises in a way uh obviously there, there's so many parallels we can go with uh Rene and Lundquist. obviously you know ranger fans are going to say they're not even close but you have one jersey retired, both jersey retires, uh, Birch both jersey retires. I can't even fucking talk right now. Sweet sacks <laughs> fucking Alassie. We got it,
1: we got it. Lundquist,
2: Lundquist and Renee. their jerseys are retired. And then they both transition out of that into basically two new goalies that could be uh, have their jerseys retired. And then yeah. you have stud defensemen that win Norris trophies in almost back-to-back years, or what was it? it was yeah it was uh yeah fox one awesome. of the year after yosi um and the predators and rangers have seemed to been able to draft and develop defensemen uh at a much higher efficiency than actually drafting and developing forwards that can score the or score the goal that um, sense. it's 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 been really interesting to me cuz i've been watching a lot of predators games over the past like decade pretty much with my roommate and it's really been very very similar it's like they're they're both kind of in the same ballpark have been at least the past 10 years
1: yeah and it's kind of interesting too because it just seems like they're always in that conversation for you know this is this is a really good team this is a team that's in the playoffs lock them in but it just doesn't seem like they're a team that everybody is all in on you know, you know it, as good as the rangers have been over the past years you never go into a season hearing, "Oh, this is this is the Rangers' year. This is the year that they're going to absolutely take it away." And I think a lot of people have said that about the Nashville Predators too. I mean, the Nashville Predators just had the second longest playoff streak in the NHL snap this year uh, since two thousand four, which was their first year in the postseason. They've only missed the playoffs four times now since since two thousand four. That's only four misses in. 20 years so they've been a model consistency they just haven't been able to find a way to find those one or two missing pieces that take them from always in the playoffs always you know kind of a dark horse team that can make a run sort of thing to being a legitimate contender
0: so a very big thing that the rangers were looking into or rather they should be is a coach that can make in-game adjustments. How does Laviola do in that department?
1: Uh do you want me to be positive or no? Just just no, straight up no, truth. Straight up truth. Yeah. I, I I think that's maybe one of the weakest parts uh of his coaching game is he doesn't adjust well. Um I mean we've seen this a lot in, in games in, in Nashville. You know the Preds would go up one nothing. They're on the front foot they are shooting puck after puck after puck one thing goes wrong and it just completely collapses, you know, because the other team is able to figure out, okay, what are they doing? How can we adjust? So you saw a lot of games in which the Predators would start off super strong and then just fade as the game went on. You know, it doesn't seem like, you know, he could roll with the punches. And that was kind of one thing that stood out, especially at the end of his tenure. And I know some of that may not be, you know, all his fault. You know, I think there's something where, you know, if if a team just kind of crumbles after, you know, one, you know, piece of adversity or one thing goes wrong, you know, that, that's something you may have to look at some of these players and ask, okay, what's going wrong here? But, um, you know, at the same time, the the lack of adjustments from LaViolette didn't necessarily help.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's probably a bit of a problem concerning the main, one of the main reasons, with Gallant besides the locker room stuff was his problem with in-game adjustments. I mean, we saw after game four, I mean, how long did it take him until he actually made an adjustment?
2: It
3: yeah.
2: was. Yeah. Well, I would also argue that Gallant didn't make changes pre-game, let alone yeah. in-game adjustments. Right, right. There, I, in-game, that's before. a completely different issue, but yeah. he, there, there was almost zero structure and uh, stretch, you know, uh, strategic adjustments prior to games. I feel like sometimes with him. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So I think that there are both those cases are can can be made for Gallant or against Gallant rather. Um, no, we don't we don't have you for that much that much longer. I feel like we, we kind of hit a lot on Laviolette. Um, so let's kind of switch over to Heinz, the guy who obviously replaced him. Um, and it's 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 interesting that the guy who replaced him and they're both now up for the same job. Um but Hines took over a kind of almost depleted team. Uh from what I remember they were like they were not going to make the playoffs that year that Hines took over and then the team had like a pretty not nah, I wouldn't say miraculous because they didn't win anything but they made the playoffs and when they weren't expected to. Um yeah. For, for well, two
1: years in a row, I would say. Yeah,
2: exactly. I, I even the second year they made it. You're right. Uh, they, they, I, do, I did not think that team on paper was good enough to make the playoffs and they did. So what are some of see, let's go through the same questions that we did. with La What are some of the attributes that he brings to the table?
1: You know, uh, uh, you ask people in Nashville this question, and, you know, John Hines is one of the most hated figures in Nashville history just because, A, I don't think he was that popular of a hire to begin with, and B, obviously never made it past the first round. I, I do think as a coach, though, John Hines is better than a lot of people, especially pundits around the league, give him credit for and I think we were able to say this now in retrospect, he was given a pretty impossible task in Nashville in taking a team that we now know was pretty subpar and turning them into a consistent Stanley cup contender. So for the fact that they were able to squeak into a lot of playoff series, they had absolutely no business being in uh, and especially that 2021 Carolina series where the Predators just did not look like a good team at all. And yet somehow they took the Hurricanes to the brink, you know, four straight overtime games in that series. Yeah, that was a wild series. I remember that. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something that John Hines, I think maybe deserves a little more credit was he's, you know, you hear about this trope in hockey about quote unquote finding ways to win hockey games. You know, people have said it so time, it's kind of a cliche, kind of overrated. But John Hines is a guy that can figure out ways to win hockey games. Uh, you know, it, it, I, you can disagree with some of his X's and O's, but he can coach players, you know, how to really be responsible in defensive end. You may give up 40 shots on goal, but you know, he can teach you a way to kind of batten down the hatches, limit the quality of those chances and you know, as we've seen a lot, he can get a lot of positive stuff out of his goaltending.
3: So when you, when you say that, uh, you know, that people criticize his, ex, his X's and O's, exactly what do you mean by that? And also, you know, you also touched upon that, you know, finding ways to win games. You, you feel he's better at in-game adjustments than LaViolette? And then also, what is his X's and O's kind of philosophy?
1: I, I think excluding roster adjustments. I do, I do think John Hines... Uh, is pretty good at kind of adjusting things in game. I think you can see how games are going, you know, you know, it, it, maybe this team is, you know, beating us on the forecheck or, you know, so we we have to adjust to, to kind of limit them and and get the puck out quicker or, you know, is, you know, stuff like that. I, I think John Hines in, in regard in as opposed to Lobulate is a little bit more structure, uh a little bit more you know, kind of an out of a box, this is how we're going to play. And I also think, whereas, you know, Laviolette was a little bit more free flowing, a little bit more, you know, push the pressure, take chances. John Hines is kind of the one that teaches patience, Uh, very sure in the, in their own zone, you know, kind of park the bus, don't make any defensive mistakes and then wait for your counterpunch. The Predators scored a lot of goals on odd man rushes, off turnovers, uh, breakaways, guys coming out of the box. He's kind of the guy that's like, okay, survive the storm. And then when you see your chance, go take it. Whereas LaViolette was more of a, no, 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 we're going to go create the chances. We're going to be the ones that go and push the play. Hines is more of a sit back, you know, kind of, you know, survive the barrage and then go about, encounter when you see your big chance
2: was that more of a product of the teams that the two of them had and is is that even like is that like a is that impossible to really answer you know
1: yeah i mean in in retrospect it it probably had a big part to do with it Uh, i think having guys like you know non-injured philip forsberg and roman yossi in his prime and pk suban in his prime and, and ryan ellis you're able to do a lot more especially with the you know offensive minded defenseman coming out of the back uh than you were with maybe a little bit older Matthias Eckholm or you know roman yossi confined to more of an offensive role or, or this and that Um, So, you know, maybe the edge there is LaViolette, who had more ability to be creative with some of his offense. Uh, but I, I just think when it comes to philosophy, John Hines was different. He's more of a, a, a sandpaper guy, you know, win games by grit, win games by hitting, you know, shot blocking. He always said, you know, he wants them to play with an identity. Identity was a big word he used throughout his career in Nashville. He wanted them to play a certain way. A lot of that had to do with defense, uh, forechecking, hitting, a lot of, you know, some of the lunch pail stats. Uh, that, you know, you, you see around grittier teams in the NHL. That was kind of more John Hines' style, and that's how I think he preferred the game overall.
3: Is there a reason, other than obviously like a lack of success that he had, why he was not well-liked in Nashville? Is there any other reason for that that you can kind of ascertain?
1: Well, well to be clear, the, the well-liked part is among the fans. Uh, when When he talked to a lot of the players, even some of the prospects that a lot of people think he mismanaged, you know, guys like Phil Tomasino have come out and said, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for John Hines and he really coached me. And, you know, he was honest with me and open. I, I think the thing with Hines is he wasn't a popular hire from the get go. Uh, Laviolette was released mid season. A lot of people are like, okay, you know, let's go out and, you know, hit a home run, maybe take a chance on exciting on coaching prospect and not 24 hours later all of a sudden you have John Hines come in who had one winning season in what, five years in New Jersey, something like that. And then, you know, David Poyle's like, okay, this is our guy, not the interim, but our guy from here on out. And I think a lot of fans were kind of disappointed. They're like, Oh, this guy who's never really won anywhere is now the guy that's taking the reins of this team that just got to the finals a few years ago and seemed to be on the next step. So I think there was some a little bit of prejudice there, and let us be honest. I just don't think fans really loved the style of play the Predators loved with. They love the fights, they love the hits, uh, but I don't think they liked uh, watching their team in the defensive zone for you know sixty percent of the game.
2: Right. It's in- sorry, Burke. You go.
1: No,
0: no, I was just mentioning that you mentioned grit before. What extent does that mean? Does it mean just every player? You know play with that sandpaper mentality or does he favor specific players that had that physicality, but
1: lack that actual skill? I think probably more towards the latter. Here's the thing with John Hines is he has talked, we, we know we mentioned the word identity a lot. He talks about line identity where he wants all of the lines or defensive pairings to play a certain way. He's got his two scoring lines. Uh, that he'll deploy you know when there's an offensive zone face off. then he's got his third line and his fourth lines which are more of checking lines like your third line is kind of you know your top penalty killers but also your speed guys. your fourth line are you know are kind of gritty specialists and the good news about that is you have lines that can you can roll in any situation like if you need a big defensive zone stop, you know, you can roll out your third or fourth line, or you need some energy, roll out your fourth line. Um, the only problem with that is I think it sort of boxed players in. And we saw that sort of with Ellie Tolvanen where it's like, okay, you know, you're, you're a high end score. We see what you do with the puck, but you know, you don't really fit in with the third line. And, you know, we already have people who are fitting in better on the first two lines uh so instead of putting you in a line you're not comfortable with we're just going to healthy scratch you and play maybe this AHL guy who doesn't have as much upside as you but he plays the role we need to play better than you and you know as opposed to I think you know maybe the better strategy would have been looking at your you know at your whole roster and being like okay who are the 12 best forwards who are, you know, the six best defensemen, how can we play them? How can we roll out a lineup that utilizes everybody's strengths? uh, But, you know, we still got a penalty killer. We still got, you know, guys that can, you know, play in the defensive end. I, I think that maybe lack of versatility hurt John Hines. And it also led him to, you know, as you mentioned, kind of play some of those grittier sandpaper guys over somebody like Ellie Tolvin, who wound up getting weighed, over Cody Glass, who, you know, took a while to break into the lineup.
0: So we won't have a problem of those third, fourth liners ending up in the top six. But what we will have a problem with is that if those young players end up on the third line, they won't be there and they'll just be discarded, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the concern I have with, you know, a guy like Alexi Lafreniere, Capo Caco, are they, are they top two line guys right now? And, and if they're not, how's John Hines going to utilize them so that they're still growing. They're still getting their chances to be offensive dynamos, you know, are, are they, or are they not going to fit into what John Hines wants to do? And all of a sudden you see these, okay, here's more minutes for Barkley Goodrow instead
0: Right. The one thing, though, I was thinking about that with is we all know that he was friends with Drury. Drury was friends with him. He wants him to come on. What I'm wondering is that maybe, unlike obviously was which was butting heads with Drury, is that maybe he listens a bit more to Drury in regards to the young players' development and all that, which he didn't get out of Gallant and might change the dynamic rather than when he was doing in Nashville – if you take that out of the equation say he is willing to have that third line as a scoring line and solely have that fourth line as a checking line how do you think that dynamic would change with his system
1: Like I think you can do what John Hines wants to do with you know two high scoring lines maybe a hybrid line with some talented people On the wings or down the center. And then just your fourth line that's like your identity line. Guys that you go out there, A, you need them to kill a penalty, or B, you need them to sort of shake things up a little bit. I think John Hines can accomplish what he wants to accomplish with a lineup like that. I don't think he's got to be like, you know, two forwards, you know, a grit line and like a defensive forward line. Uh, I think John Hines can accomplish what he wants to do um you know with with revamping the lineup and that was kind of one of my biggest criticisms in with him in Nashville I always said like you can play the style of hockey you want you can accomplish what you want to do you just kind of got to be creative and figure out a different way to get there so if he can do that if he can take you know Alexi Lafreniere on the third line and have you know maybe a couple of different players with him So, you know, to to kind of, A, take advantage of what Lafreniere is good at, and B, maybe offset some of the things that he's not good at. If he can do that, I I do think he can be successful uh, as, as a Rangers head coach. And like you said, you know, he's got that relationship with Drury. I think they're going to have a clear vision on what they want to do, what players they want to prioritize um and, and yeah i mean there there's potential there i just think it's got to be up to john hines a little bit to maybe change his way of thinking
3: gotcha um <clears throat> so I, I know we're tight on time here i just want to ask one final question here which uh, might be a little bit obvious but i just keeping in mind who the rangers are right now you know it's a group with a, a group of talented but aging vets who don't play a gritty game necessarily and then a bunch of young players who haven't quite taken the full next step yet Mm -hmm. who would you think would do better for the rangers in the next two years on a cup run laviolette or hines
1: i think if you're looking at the next two years uh peter laviolette is your guy you know i i do think you know we saw it in nashville we've seen it in philly i do think he's the better option at going into teams figuring out what he has what the situation is and then figuring out how to utilize those teams to make them work. You know, if you're looking for something more consistent, like if you're looking to prioritize maybe, you know, getting Alexei Lafreniere up and running, Capocacco up and running, um, then maybe John Hines is the guy for you. Like maybe you just want to take a chance and be like, okay, if we put them in these specific roles, they can coach them up. Uh, but you know, if it's just we need a cup right now, I would say let's your guy.
3: That's great. Right. I, I uh, really appreciate the insight that you have here. You know, obviously, it's an interesting thing that we both have. You know, both of your your former coaches here. Yeah. You know, kind of at the top of our list. So uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. And, I, and a lot of what you said makes a lot of sense and jives with a lot of things that I've heard and seen over the years as well but uh expanded upon and obviously from a true fan it's a it's nice to have your perspective so really appreciate uh, your insights here
2: thank you so much we really
0: appreciate it 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 sounds like a more of a pick your poison with these uh coaches but uh nick thank you so much for coming on obviously i know you uh punch your stuff in before but you want to punch in anything now uh before we head off
1: yeah you can check out my work at penaltyboxradio.com uh, dot com uh, i wrote a uh, a nice article about what uh the Predators are going to change after john hines now that andrew burnett's in charge if you want to check that out uh or listen to me at uh locked on predators it's a podcast you can find on any major podcast platform or on youtube five days a week so check me out there all right thanks nick and uh, take care thanks guys